0: Now in this digital age when our pervasive and often invasive technology puts a camera in everyone's hand, it's endlessly intriguing to savor the results of one man's fascination with people back when taking and developing pictures was a lot of work. Richmond streetcar motorman Harris Stilson spent countless hours using his camera to capture our city and its everyday citizens nearly a hundred years ago, giving us a priceless look at slices of life that other photographers might have missed. Today, Kitty Snow, Harry's great granddaughter, will present an affectionate record of the city's past as revealed through Harry's prolific images. Kitty uh, Snow grew up in Bon Air, and she graduated from Huguenot High School and then attended both Longwood and VCU. She worked for C&P Telephone, where she was the first female telephone installer slash repairman assigned to Church Hill, Oregon Hill, Jackson Ward, and other downtown neighborhoods. And she worked for the marketing department of Bell Atlantic. Since 1986, she's been a realtor and is the owner of Home Team Realtors, whose signs you may have seen around town. She has written two books based on her great-grandfather's photography, both of which will be available for purchase and signing today after the lecture, and she's currently working on a third book about Harry Stilson's photography. So please join me in a warm VHS welcome for Kitty Snow.
1: Thank you. (coughs) Thank you. Um, Two things I'd like to mention before I start. Uh, My biggest fear was that I would have all of you here today, and my daughter would be having triplets, and I would not want to be here. So the good news is she had her triplets last week, a week ago today. Three little girls. This is the diaper from one of those little girls, the one that was a pound, 12 ounces. So the good news is I'm here. I'm not stressed out over babies coming any minute. So... The second thing is, I don't have any images of anyone famous. So if I'm talking about Maggie Walker and I show you this little girl's picture, it's not Maggie Walker. It's, uh, it's just someone that Harry knew and uh, like the little, Sto- uh, the little Stokes girl here. Something to keep you entertained while I'm talking. Okay, let's look at some pictures. Uh, my great-grandfather, Harris Stilson, was a streetcar motorman or driver on the West Clay Line in Richmond uh, in the early 1900s. But his passion was photography. He supported his hobby selling pictures. His photo business was simple. People would flag down the streetcar and ask him to take a portrait. By the way, if you see anything with color in it like the little girl's bow, that's hand tinted. There were no color photographers then. Uh, but most of his commissions were 15 or 20 cents, and I found out that he charged the African Americans five cents less than he charged the white folks. I inherited what, um, what I thought was the entire Stilson collection, and I recognized... This lady, by the way, is hand-tinted. Uh, when I inherited this, I recognized the significance of Harry's photographs as well as the need to share them. My first book from a Richmond streetcar is the result of that desire. By the way, this is State Fairgrounds. That's at what I know as Parker Field. Y'all may call it the diamond. It's still Parker Field to me. But it was the State Fairgrounds in those days. Um, my first book was, like I said, the result of that desire to share these. But the project increased dramatically uh, when I discovered hundreds of photographs, negatives, even the Stilson movie camera which was complete with instructions. I found these treasures in my Aunt Margaret's home, in the basement, the garage, open Miller and Rhodes boxes, everywhere. Now, this is Margaret as a little girl, and she's down here on the front. You can barely, y'all can't even see her. She's so short. She's right down here. But anyhow, there she is. She's not much bigger now. (laughs) I call her our accidental historian. She did not mean to to preserve this, it just happened. Uh, uh, not the same as Margaret is Randy Jordan, who is our intentional hist- uh, researcher and historian. He's sitting down here as well. And he's the one that finds out things for me when I ask stuff like, so why is this guy sitting on, a, on the horse when there's a wagon? The answer is there's no seat in the wagon. <laughs> we wanted a vehicle to preserve and show the Stilson Collection, so we created Richmond in Sight. Now this, by the way, is 9th and Broad Street, the construction of that building, which is a state building now. I think it's called the Assembly Building. It used to be an insurance company. Oh, should have a heart attack because those uh, little kids on the front are there in the middle of the construction site, and I believe the man's drinking a beer. He's got a bottle (laughs) in his hand. But anyhow, I just show them. I'm not responsible for them. Uh, but anyhow, we want we created Richmond Insight to share Richmond's past with a broader audience through books and presentations. So here I am. My first foray into what I loosely call research involves this picture. On the back of one copy my great-grandfather had written, I made some $10 of these pictures of preacher Thomas, Collard lying in state for three days in his little church. It was dated April 28, 1922, as you can see. So I thought thought somebody should be able to identify this man. So I started calling Richmond's oldest African-American churches. Now Sharon Baptist had a preacher named Thomas back then, so I thought my mystery was solved. But by then I was hooked. I wanted to know more about the pictures and I wanted more stories. So months later, I had a book deadline and I needed more church pictures. I found this one. But um, I just couldn't identify it. I knew I'd seen it somewhere. I don't know if anybody can recognize it, but it's Parkview, Uh, I think they call it Riverview now, Baptist Church, and that yard area is where the Downtown Express is. So the reason it doesn't look the same is right now where those guys are is where the traffic flows back and forth on the Downtown Expressway. I found an envelope of negatives that were labeled Union Church. And I thought, oh, this will work. But the building didn't look like First Union, which is at Elizabeth and Moore down in Jackson Ward. So I went online. My picture is the original building, not the present structure. But I was already on their website, so I read their First Union's history, and there it was. Their pastor, the Reverend William Thomas, died in 1922. So my man in the casket is Preacher Thomas of First Union Church. I've even met two of his granddaughters, and their stories are in my second book. And this is Harris H. Stilson, the car man, as he described himself. He made lots of self-portraits. There were no timers, so photographers rigged up various methods, including string, wire and other devices. Um, and this picture, because Harry was very innovative, uh, is described in his journal. He, uh, his granddaughter, Norma, her sister, wasn't at home for this family picture, so he left a hole for her, <laughs> took her picture later, and inserted it into the final version. Um, he, what he did was he pasted and made a new negative. I guess it was an early version of Photoshopping. <laughs> I haven't found the finished one yet, but you know we might find it one day. He also did the same kind of thing when his wife arrived a day late for the family reunion in Michigan. He took her picture in Richmond on the end, added her a few months later, so everybody else is in Michigan. Grandma Stilson's here in Richmond. You can see from the background. You know, he took meticulous notes about lighting, timing, and so forth, but his name record-keeping left a lot to be desired. He kept little notebooks about the size of matchbooks in pencil uh, recording his work, but only two of them survived. Matching unlabeled pictures to journal entries guarantees frustration. You know, it might be 2014, but the internet and technology can be replaced with a storage box of photographs and willing feet. I took Harry's pictures to the streets of Richmond visiting churches, businesses, and homes. A telephone call would result in an invitation to visit. By the way, this is a bookkeeper. There's a safe. That big thing on the right over there is a safe with a handle on it. That's a safe. He's got his uh, adding machine and everything. So this is a bookkeeper. Uh, And I think I know where it is, but I'm not telling because I'm not sure. Um, But anyhow, a telephone call would result in an invitation to visit. Richmond is a very small town when it comes to a social network. I was passed from person to person, family to family, and unlike Richmond, my journey is just beginning. That that journey uh, to identify people follows a crooked path. I read a journal entry stating, Mrs. Goldman and Mrs. Cantor, two Jews on Moselle. Eric Cantor's grandmother had a Jackson Ward store, so I called his brother Stuart. Stewart said his grandmother was too young for that picture, but he introduced me to Alec Mullen, who has, n- he grew up in downtown Richmond and has about 90 years worth of stories about Jewish neighborhoods in Richmond. So, Mr. Uh, Goul- Mr. Mullen and I made a field trip to Shaco Bottom where he grew up, and that took me in a whole different direction on that crooked path. Mr. Mullen mentioned that his aunt, Annie Cantor, was said he was the ugliest baby she had ever seen. (laughs) His aunt was named Annie Cantor, so she could be, you know, my Mrs. Cantor, but the picture might not have survived. I made Mr. Mullen look at a lot of pictures of women. Now, he didn't complain, mind you, (laughs) about me making him look at those ladies but we haven't found his Aunt Annie yet. I really hope she's not this girl with her skirt hiked up. (laughs) My most profound experience sounds like Hollywood fiction. Mr. Mullen invited me to the Weinstein Jewish Community Center through the men's club to meet possible oral history sources. Afterwards, people were crowding around and looking at pictures and I heard a voice say, I knew a streetcar man named Stilson. He let me drive the streetcar. Morris Goldberg knew my great-grandfather, a man who died in 1934. In 2012, I met the kid who drove Harry Stilson's streetcar. That is, to me, an amazing story. In 1907, the Stilson family moved from Michigan to Orange, Virginia, and then to Richmond in 1909. Now I was asked about this picture. This is from the tobacco. Tell me again, Randy. It's an Imperial Stemery building, which is gone now. And Harry was looking from that, which is at Lombardy and Lee, and he was looking south from there. This is looking over the tobacco warehouses. Those buildings there are right at Monroe Park. The tall buildings in the background. I think it's Press. I think it's Presswood, but. I've been told it's VCU uh, dorms, but I think it's Presswood. Anyhow, and you've got a lot of the, um, in the background, you can see a lot of Richmond history through there. But anyhow, uh, they moved here in 1909. The domestic drama of those years is a whole other story, but briefly, Harry's wife left him to nurse her mother, who was an invalid, in Michigan. She later returned to Richmond. Meanwhile, Harry moved to Richmond with his three children, this is Powhatan Street, which is in Bird Park area. He eventually bought two houses on Chaffin Street, which is now Grayland Avenue, that's the house, and he also owned a rental property on West Hampton Avenue, which we know is Kerry Street. Now this rental property currently houses the Christian Science Reading Room in Kerrytown, so that's why he took the picture. Now these pictures are intriguing. The envelope says, interior of bank to show position of tear gas gun for lawsuit. What? <laughs> it's dated 1934, and it's West Hampton Bank, which is now a Jewelers Service Company at 3011 Carry Street, and, and uh, this is the inside of it. That's how we found it where it was. It says West Hampton Bank on the picture. Um, But anyhow, that's West Hampton Bank, and I researched that tear gas story in the newspaper. I never could find anything about it. It's still a mystery, but perhaps this man knows a little about it. Dan Dooling started his career as a policeman in Jackson Ward. Dr. Wesley Carter, who died at almost 105, admitted that as a kid, he threw rocks at Officer Dooling. (laughs) He said, don't tell. But I think the statute of limitations has run out on that one. <laughs> Former police chief Frank Dooling followed in his uncle's footsteps, as did Ricky Dooling, who we all knew as Sergeant Santa. I showed Dan Dooling's picture to Marguerite Bendall, my 94-year-old friend, and she started singing, Who's that digging in my backyard? It's old Dan Dooling and the Purity Squad. <laughs> the Purity Squad was charged with enforcing prohibition, Gambling, like these guys are doing. They may be playing marbles, but I'm guessing it's craps, the <laughs> shooting, and, pro, and prostitution law. A newspaper article about a West Hampton Avenue break-in mentioned detective dueling, so he might have responded to that tear gas incident. Since the Stilsons lived in what we call Town, a lot of the photographs are Bird Park, Idlewood <coughs> Park, and Shields Lake. This picture is labeled Papa's Car at Ashland and Meadow, which is in Bird Park, and was probably taken shortly after he started working for the power company. The Bird Park area is significant to our story, but I'm going to start with a part of town that Harry traveled every day, the West Clay Line. My second book focuses on Jackson Ward, Carver, and Newtown, neighborhoods along that West Clay Line. Its story is told through the oral histories of residents who grew up along that stretch of tracks. Now this is labeled substation, uh, Virginia Electric Power, West Clay, but everybody in Richmond knew it as the powerhouse because uh, the, the uh, powerhouse provided electricity for the streetcars that, on that line. Richmond had the first successful electric streetcar system in the world. A few cities claim an earlier date, but they didn't work consistently. The city of Richmond contracted with Sprague Electric Railway and Motor Company to create a transportation system, and in 1888, the first streetcars started running. I don't know if you noticed, but one of the men in the front is wearing a Confederate hat in this picture, which was taken maybe 50 years after the Civil War, but as we know in Richmond, the war was never over. Now, Harry, Harry's notes uh, offer an amazing story about that first streetcar run. I, di- I discovered an envelope of negatives and this narrative was in it. And I'm quoting, "Bo Eubanks' miniature electric car to, uh, to represent the first one run in Richmond, Virginia in 1888 on which he collected the first nickel fare. He shows a cow." horse, and two goats as those killed by the first car. (laughs) This is the picture. Okay, this is the miniature street car. And okay, and this is Harry's, also Harry's quote. It killed the cow and ran up on the body, and it was two hours before they could get a wagon to bring jacks so as to raise up the car and get it out. The horse was killed by stepping on rail charged by live wire. I have no idea what caused the demise of the two goats, everyone, (laughs) but Harry knew Bo Eubank, who collected the first nickel fare on the first electric streetcar in Richmond. I tracked down his grandson, Walter, and shared pictures of his grandparents' living room and the miniature streetcar. Now, Walter recalled seeing a toy streetcar and a picture of his grandfather in a museum when he was a little boy. So I called the Valentine. We arranged a visit where Walter saw his grandfather's miniature streetcar one more time. And you know, the streetcar was an amazing contraption, run on rails by electricity. It completed a road, and then the conductor would flip the seats. Every kid in Richmond, some of y'all probably flip seats, but every kid in Richmond loved to flip the seats to face the other direction so the car could run the other way. This man may be uh, moving the electric connector so they can reverse the power at the end of the run. Cow catchers attached to the front of the car were installed after that initial uh, run. (laughs) I think it's a good idea. And eventually 40 cars would run across the city and Harry took pictures of every one of those cars and their crews. Streetcar work wasn't an easy job, but it suited Harry. A postcard that he had has this, and again, this is another quote. I have stood this cold weather better than I had any hopes I could. He went on to describe mornings as a single father with his children, Leon, Don, and Anita, pitching in. Don gets up and builds the fires one week and Leon the next, and Anita gets up and gets me a warm breakfast so I can leave home at 5 a.m., My day's work is done at 4 o'clock this this week, unless they call me for extra. That's a long day. No wonder streetcar men often doze during their shifts. Sometimes the car didn't show up when scheduled, and investigators found the snoring driver and conductor stretched out on the seats. (laughs) Harry kept a ledger, like I said, of his work, identifying a lot of his subjects, including this streetcar conductor sleeping here. Several of the entries mentioned W.C. Wright, but Harry's August 6, 1918 uh, entry was a poignant illustration of the friendship among streetcar men. I'm quoting, W.C. Wright, my conductor, became sick and getting worse. I asked to have him relieved, but it was 3.30 before Outland 212 came, and I had gotten right into the powerhouse to wait for ambulance, which had been called to take him home. The next day's entry said, told that conductor William Clarence Wright died last night after 7 p.m. at the house of his sister at 1505 Garland Avenue, Barton Heights. I suspect Mr. Wright died of Spanish influenza, which was prevalent in 1918. Luckily, my great uncle Don is not dead here. He's just exhausted after another one of those 12-hour shift days. He worked as a streetcar conductor for a few years, as did his older brother, Leon. By 1909, when Harry started his streetcar career, Virginia Power had created rules and regulations. This is the working agreement between the, con- the uh, company and my great uncle Leon. If you see the time, 25 cents an hour. And it goes on to explain you know, your, how long your shift could be, but then it says, except for, and the except for is cover everything. But you know, if you spent 12 or more hours a day with fellow employees, they become family. So ter- Harry took family pictures. He took pictures of streetcar men. This was the um, conductor that took Mr. Wright's place, Mr. Epperson. Uh, he took pictures of them. He took he sold pictures to them, and he took pictures of their houses, their children, their wives. This 1919 photograph says, D.C. Sims and wife, and of course it's got the picnic basket. It says, D.C. Sims and wife, number 142, thunderstorm outside. You know, Harry even made an excursion into what he considered pornography, and I think everyone here is of age, so we can show this. Okay, he took this picture of this young lady, sedately seated on the streetcar seat, and then he took another shot. I know. I'm sorry. It was really dirty. (laughs) It was so risque that he recorded the experience in his journal. However, he described it in code. Okay, the first note up there, you see the second entry is in code. Okay, the third one says same, okay. That's the PG version. The one above it is the dirty one. Passengers became familiar, and uh, friendships developed on the street on the uh, streetcar line. And uh, the this is a picture of Southern Stove works, which is now lofts or condos. Originally populated by African Americans and Jewish immigrants, the Jackson Ward area uh, claims some really exceptional folks. And I guess you get this. You get my good. Maggie Walker was the first African-American female bank president in the United States. Now this picture here, in the background, if you see in the back where it says ST and then underneath it's P-E-N-N, that is Maggie Walker's St. Luke Penny Saving Bank building at First and Marshall, which is gone now. Um, These, uh, you're basically looking uh, north, south. So you've got Marshall Street behind you, this is on First Street, Broad Street straight ahead. So that is Maggie Walker's bang. And then there was Bill Bojangles Robinson. He tap danced with a, sh- a little dimple Shirley Temple, and the world fell in love. Shirley Temple always said her favorite co star was Bill Bojangles Robinson, and I'm sure their movies were shown at the Lubin and Bijou on Broad Street's Theatre Row, right here in the background. Uh, Six Mount Zion's Reverend John Jasper's sermon, The Sun Do Move, was de- debated for decades. Those Jackson Ward natives were famous. Harry Stilson took notice of those famous celebrities, but he took pictures of the uncelebrated Richmonders. Peddlers, this is on Lee Street. Cobblestone workers. Construction workers, and this is Lombardy and Lee. This is when they were building that building we were talking about, at Lombardy and Lee, basically where Governor's School is now, uh, that, that block. He took pictures of construction workers, storekeepers, uh, like Shaka's Popular Corner, and families, lots of families. His presence in those predominantly ethnic neighborhoods wasn't limited to his streetcar schedule, though. Pictures like this of his grandchildren on Marshall Street with the little twins and entries in his diary about visiting Sam Sparrow, his friend here, and others are evidence of that. He knew the Watson family very well. And this hand-tinted picture, which I think is lovely, is Bessie Watson's daughter. I'd love to find someone in that family and be able to give them that picture. Uh, But he took pictures of Bessie Watson, even took a picture of her dad and the family dog. (laughs) uh, Harry also recorded wagon accidents. Now this is, uh, as you can see, Norton and Clay, as if you don't know, Harry wrote, uh, Norton and Clay. There's a uh, a bull in that wagon, and of course the wheel went off. So this is the accident. This is when everybody's telling them how to get the bull out of the <laughs> out of the wagon, except for the little boy who's mugging for the camera. Uh, he took pictures of wagon accidents. He took pictures of car accidents. And this is actually a um, an ice truck. And this is that Lombardi and Lee, that same building that had the tobacco we were looking at over top of it. So this is looking back towards Lee Street. Um, he took pictures of streetcar accidents. He even took pictures before the accident happened. <laughs> now, this is the east end of the Churchill Tunnel. You may have seen this picture all over the place, and I, even though we're in a building the ser- series supported by the newspaper, I'll tell you, they've used this same picture, and they didn't give us credit, but this is their picture. This is Stilson's picture of the east end of the Churchill Tunnel. And Harry took this picture... Uh, before the collapse of the tunnel, and when it collapsed, he went back, made copies, and sold them, and that's where it's all come from, so you'll see this picture a lot of places, but that was Harry's picture. Okay, most of all, Harry was the uh, poor man's photographer. His, uh, his subjects were immigrants, laborers, maids. She's a maid, with, I think she's the, he had, the, she was the head cook, I think she's cooked with an attitude. His portraits were the only pictures that some families owned, but his customers also included businessmen, this is the Henrico Cafe, and wealthier African Americans and Jews. This is Ida Ida Cawthorn, her house, which was a mansion, was uh, uh, on uh, clay, I mean, Brook Road. And if you look, if you watch Downton Abbey, those, there's the way you pulled those tassel things or how you pull for the servants. You can see she's a well-read woman. She's reading her book, telephones in the background, and her goldfish are right there too. So this is to show that she was a well, well-educated well and well young uh, lady. But friendships across race and religion were rare in the early 1900s, and, and Harry's journal entries reflect an uncommon intimacy between a, a middle-aged white man and African-Americans. His unusual role as streetcar man offered glimpses of life into Jewish and African-American homes that very often overlooked. In 1907, he returned to Michigan and he gave a speech for the women's, la- the Ladies Literary Club, which was entitled, Our Tinted Population. That handwritten speech survived and proves that Harry Stilson was a man before his time. And I'm going to quote from this. Um, First of all, let me just say, when I read it, my first reaction was, it's a wonder they didn't string the man up. (laughs) My second reaction was, thank goodness they didn't, because we wouldn't have these pictures. But I'm quoting from Harry. He says, we are black, brown, red, yellow, and white. We are Catholic, Protestant, Mormon, Jew, spiritualist, atheist, or whatnot. If they be of different types, at variance in color, religion, or nationality, or all three, I am constrained to believe, being optimistic, it is so much better for the world. Now, those images in Jackson Ward and the surrounding areas are priceless, not only for their cultural significance, but also because a lot of that area has simply disappeared from the Richmond landscape. You know, Harry liked young people. A Richmond Times Dispatch article about our work resulted in Irma Dillard recalling her mother's stories about Mr. Stilson watching out for her and her friends on the streetcar line. And those stories, as well as pictures of her mom and her buddies, are in my second book. And these pictures are all taken in what we call Carver nowadays. Hartshorn College was also in Carver. Hartshorn was the black women's college that later merged with Virginia Union. The streetcar stopped there, but Harry had pictures naming teachers and noting details, so his interest was more than just proximity. As a matter of fact, one of the last pictures he took of his son Leon before he left for France in World War I was at Hartshorn, and that's Hartshorn in the background. Hartshorn encompassed the eight acres where Maggie Walker School, now Governor's School, is located today at Lombardy and Lee. He even got, uh, he got lots of pictures. Can you believe they tore these buildings down? They were gorgeous. But anyhow, he even took a picture like this. Now, I want you to know, this picture was really a cool picture. I like to look at it. And he said he took it from the streetcar, and that's cool. But if you look really closely, that bottom, uh, that bottom window, there's a man climbing out of the dorm window. <laughs> I don't explain them, I just show them. So he got a picture of this man crawling at the window of the dorm, and Harry's tripod and camera are right there by that fence. So if you see that in the foreground there. Okay. So Harry recorded events of no significance, except to the parents of the girl whose window that is, and of incredible significance. I found this unlabeled photograph of black men marching. John Lister, the historian of the National Guard, said the sergeant's hat, that's the man in the front, was from late 1917, early 1918, so this would be recruits going off to boot camp. But he said their hats should match, even in an African-American unit. Well, obviously they don't, so maybe the local recruiting office didn't get the memo. Images of black World War I soldiers are rare. The African-American troops returned to Richmond about a week after the uh, white troops, which is shown here. The Richmond Grays parade on Broad Street was well-documented, And this is the Richmond Grays, that says down here, returning from from France. Uh, So the Grays parade was well-documented, but the parade through Carver and Jackson Ward wasn't. Now these people are waiting for the white (coughs) troops to uh, march from the train station, which I suspect was the freight station, not the Broad Street station. Uh, This site is easily identified because there's Moore Street Church, and everybody knows Moore Street Church is on Lee Street, so we're looking up Lee Street, and in the, far, in the far distance is the beginning of that parade that we're talking about. Now, So that was easy to tell. This next picture wasn't as easy to tell. And uh, I don't know if y'all were watching really closely, but that picture of the wagon at Norton and Clay becomes very significant because in the background, see this is the Elks Parade with the drum major in front. This is the, the more of the parade, and that is that same Simps store at Norton & Clay where the wagon accident with the bull in the, in the wagon was. So that's the only way we could identify it because this whole area has changed and, and been, a lot of it's disappeared. So this was cool. We could identify that. And then this picture right behind them is historic because this is the African-American troops returning home on June 14, 1919. Now this picture, taking the next day, was given to me by Richard Lee Bland, uh, and this picture, that he had just bought it and recognized it as a Stilson photograph, that's one of the reasons he bought it, but in the picture when you clean it up real well, you can see the, that it tells you where this is, which is at the corner of North Kenny and Lee, so we now know exactly where that last picture and this one were taken, and right now if you go down there, you'll see a sign that says Hartshorn Community, and that's all you'll see, no building. The Stilson Collection also included a lot of uh, Armistice Day parades. Um, This one is on Broad Street at Elba Hardware. Uh, We even have the record of the first Navy Day, which is at Rockets Landing. And you can't tell it very well in the background, but there's a whole town back there. That's how much Rockets Landing had going on for it then. And the little tiny white dots are actually the uh, white caps on the the, uh, sailor's hats, or their hats. Some of Harry's other wartime shots are also unusual. This is an airship and it's anchored at the state capitol yard. The Great War claimed the oldest Stilson son, Leon. I have his letters uh, describing boot camp at Camp Lee and uh, there are pictures that he had. And he also, uh, we also have him doing the flag. Signaling, and I was real excited. We th- Randy and I thought it was a message from the past. We had the whole collection. He was spelling out Stilson. <laughs> no significant mystery. But you know, when Re- Richmond dedicated, caro- dedicated the Caroline as a war memorial in 1932, the Stilsons were there. Mary Stilson, my great grandmother, was active in the Gold Star Mothers organization because she had lost a son, and they used these pins, of which I'm wearing as a fundraiser commemorative pen for that uh, dedication. There's even evidence that Harry might have shot the photograph that was used on the lithograph for this. Harry took pictures of Richmond at work and at play, and sometimes they shared the same roof. This is the pump house behind the, down below the carillon, and it was an early multi-purpose facility. The lower level pumped water, and uh, there were dances held upstairs on the, on the canal side, and it's a great place. I don't know, some of you may be familiar with Ralph White and his work to restore the pump house. I gave him some pictures that would help him uh, ensure accuracy in the restoration. This is the inside of the pump house. Bird Park offered other leisure activities. This is Shields Lake Water Festival. Doesn't look like that these days. Stills movies included footage of this high dive as well as some other things from Shields Lake. Now, several of the photographs... Uh, Oops, they're not supposed to be in there. We have a little error here. Sorry about that. Several of the pictures show uh, Dr. Vera Bowman, who uh, taught life-saving, and I found a Richmond Times-Dispatch article in which, uh, in which the Red Cross honored him, so that's probably why I had that there, uh, for 200 hours of volunteer work, some of which was at Shields Lake. You know, when the circus came to town, so did Harry. This building here which is at 600 West Franklin, is better known as the Boy Scout Building. And that was on the Parade Road, which is now, this is the Parade Road of uh, Monument Avenue, 2200 block of Monument Avenue. And this, Piggly Wiggly, is I believe on the Boulevard. And yes, there was Piggly Wiggly in Richmond then. So, um, but you know, along with uh, with the circus, there were films and films was popular but it was really popular with uh, Harry. It, the, the theaters along Theater Row, 7th and 8th on Broad, took Harry's money several nights a week. I've got every little detail of how much he paid to go and what he saw. There are even parts of a Tom Mix film in those movies that we donated to VCU. He just took his camera into the theater. So we'll be showing those movies. Now that we've got them restored, we'll be showing them. So if you know anyone wants to see the movies, let me know. We'll, we'll set up a showing on a movie night. The side door on this uh, is the the Rex Theater. I don't know if you can see on the side, it says Rex Theater. Also says Rex coming down the front. And by the way, if you think those columns look strange on Broad Street, they were built for the World War I, you know, when the soldiers, the the Blues and Grays came home. So that's why they're not there these days. Uh, Harry also liked the State Fair a lot. I have pictures of performers. Of course, that's the ride. We've got performers. She's great, isn't she? We've got rides. We have the VCU Ram, <laughs> and we have the light exhibit of the W of the uh, T.W. Wood uh, Seed Company. You know, but when you craved ex- uh, excitement and the fair wasn't in town, you could head out to Forest Hill Park. That kid who drove Harry's uh, streetcar, Mars Goldberg, said this is the. Uh, the Dixie Flyer, that's its official name. Dr. Charles Williams knew it as the Dips, but either way, it's a memory that brings grins to a lot of very old Richmond faces. Parks such as Forest Hill Park were diversions from work, and work for a large percentage of the uh, city's Jewish population meant storekeeping. Mr. Goldberg's family owned a store at Hancock and Clay, and Hurdle's Drugstore was across the street and this is an interior of Fort Hurdle's Drugstore. It's pretty indicative of the stores in the early 1900s. You see, the spittoon is front and center. Now, I love the 17th Street Marketplace. Oh, I've got—I've got these are the two pictures. This is the Shureks. That was the 17th and Fairfield. Another Jewish uh, storekeeper family. He really liked them. He took a lot of pictures, and this next one is my favorite. Look at that! Isn't that the cutest thing? So that's Mr. and Mrs. Shurek on the streetcar. But I love this picture here of the 17th Street Market. Uh, see the wagons over on the far side. They were uh, they would simply unhitch the mule or the horse, and it became a convenience store. So your wagon is the store. You can even see this is uh, onions, spring onions over on the side. So it's a really good picture of the 17th Street Market. Now this picture is significant for several reasons. Uh, it's it says chop suey, which of course is is Chinese-American, but they're actually Japanese, and he even said on the back, Japanese restaurant, 17th Street. But it's also significant because you see the sign that says white and colored. At one of my presentations, a school teacher told me she had used this photograph that was in Style Magazine. She had used this photograph to teach Jim Crow law, and I thought that was kind of cool. So uh, this is a picture that you may not see on Lee Street often. <laughs> okay. Rich, uh, <laughs> this one is not not at the uh, U- Virginia, I mean uh, Union or Southern stockyards, but on the way to the stockyards because these are pretty unusual pedestrians. Mm-hmm. We know it's Lee Street because it's a dirt road and dirt and Lee was dirt at that part. But Harry he confirmed it was a herd of cattle, seventeen thirty-eight West Lee Street, in his journal. So I don't know exactly where this is, but we think it might be Moore Street in april of 1924 the southern stockyard which was one of those massive stockyards we had was reduced to uh, acres of rubble by a fire and we think we've been looking at a cleaned up picture of this we believe that these men are uh, maybe handling the body of the one man that did die his harry wrote on there one man and 165 horses burned Uh, we think that's why harry may have taken this particular picture it looks like they're dealing with someone on the ground. Um, So let's see. We had the Southern Stockyard. We have the Union Stockyard. we got Richmond Abattoir. And yes, died of heat. You know, yes. Uh, And that that was a significant uh, employer in Richmond. The Richmond Times-Dispatch article about our project resulted in a telephone call from Garland Dempsey, who was raised by uh, Robert... Cleveland Morris, who's the man in the white coat, and he was the head of King's Abattoir. Harry he had pictures of slaughterhouse owners and managers, workers like these guys. He uh, mislabeled the next photograph that I'm going to show you as a ra- Jewish rabbi at end of Hermitage in Lee, but it was more likely a Shock I can't say it right, Shakhet. and Anyhow, it, the man that would be uh, doing the performing of the uh, ritual slaughter for Jewish uh, ritual, so that would be the man here. He said he was a, a rabbi, but we don't think he really is. The Stilson collection is eclectic. He recorded events and places for his own enjoyment, like these Girl Scouts. This turns out to be the uh, the origination of the African American Girl Scouts in Richmond, which was one of the first in the country. And this picture was used at VCU in a presentation on the history of African American uh, Girl Scouts. And Harry said that they were waiting for the parade, marking time, waiting for the parade. Um, You know, he took pictures just because he liked them. He loved these little boys in their wagon. And we're locating relatives of people in his photographs through our website and presentations. People like uh, uh, Arthur Strauss here. Richmond has a lot of Strauss family, so we think he belongs here, and we'll probably find him one day, some of his family. I could show you pictures all day long, but my time's up. And my wagon's hitched to go. <laughs> I'd like to tell you a little bit about Richmond in sight. The Stilson Collection is a treasure. No one else took the pictures that Harry took. The pictures like this. Now, I assumed it was the Salvation Army, but their historians agree that they did not have African-American bands, and their bands were all brass, and obviously this is not. So my African-American sources identified it as Maggie Walker's <laughs> Order of St. Luke Band. If so, this may be the only record of a forgotten piece of history. But presentations at schools, neighborhood associations, other venues, like this one, bring Richmond's history alive to a larger audience. Richmond Inside is partnering with VCU to restore and preserve those glimpses of an earlier Richmond. This is my great uncle Don and his friend. I love this picture. But partnership doesn't mean that the pictures are being restored. The uh, the budget just doesn't include Harry Stilson, so the research, indexing, identifying, and restoring is being done by Randy and me. Another significant part of our project is compiling oral histories. (coughs) This guy's isn't he great? Okay, look at notice the gun in his. You know he's tough. Notice his gun. (laughs) We believe that he may be working in the uh, train yards because it was really dangerous work, apparently, in those days, during the Depression times. Uh, But anyhow, like I said, there's just no money in the budget for Harry's uh, work to be restored. So we're trying to do oral histories as well because Richmond has pictures to show and stories to tell and and the Stilson photographs are part of that. I want Harry's pictures to be seen, to be a learning tool, and a way for Richmonders to connect with who we were a century ago. That restoration can happen through tax deduct du- can't even talk tax deductible donations made to Richmond in Sight through VCU. We also have books and note cards if you're interested. And uh, people, we're at the end of our uh, streetcar run for the day. It's time to flip the seats and head on home. So thanks for coming, and thanks for sharing the view from a Richmond streetcar. you. He says I'm supposed to tell you that I'll take questions. <laughs> if I don't know the answer, I'll make it up. Marvelous, uh, marvelous archive. Could Thank you tell you. us just a bit about the equipment that he used and how he developed all of these photos? He, we have his cameras, and we actually have pictures. We have the coolest thing, I think, as far as the history of it, is I have a journal entry that says, Miss Day of Gillespie Optical has loaned me free of charge a moving picture camera and projection in the hopes I will buy one in the coming year. That was October of 1928. 1929, we have movies, which we have had restored. We, so we have where he got the camera from, the moving picture camera from, who he got it from. We then have a picture of him with the movie camera taking a movie, and we have the movie. So you have from the very beginning to the movie, and it's in my book. I've got a picture of it in the second, second book I think it's in. But anyhow, it's a picture of Harry. So we, we have his movie camera, which is about that big. We showed a picture, but it's about that big. We've got the movie camera, which we've been told probably would work if we wanted to try it. Movie. We've got that. We've got several. I've got his old, old camera, and then I've got his just a regular box camera that he used. Um He had Mr. Goldberg asked me, did I know how many times he'd had cameras stolen off the streetcar? And I said, no, I just know he had three in one fall. He said, yeah, they stole them off them all the time. He'd set it down, somebody walked off with his camera. So we know he used that equipment. As far as developing it, he'd take them home at night, develop them that night, and it was apparently a neighborhood entertainment, because he has in his notes that everybody came over to see the movies being developed. And that, they would come over, and I guess he did it in just one of the rooms. But he would develop the pictures and then take them back the next day and get his 15 cents. So I don't know if that answers your question.
0: Right sure. Hi. Um. You showed a picture of the Churchill Tunnel. Does, did he take any pictures after the um, the collapse of the tunnel? No, that's the thing that's
1: uh, that that's the thing that was interesting to me. He took the picture years earlier and then, and then sold it, but I don't have any pictures that I can identify as being part of that, but I've had people tell me that they were there, as little kids that were there, that said you couldn't see a lot. You know, there really wasn't much to see. I had one man tell me that his family went on the viaduct and looked across to see, uh, and he said you really couldn't see much from it because there really wasn't anything happening. It collapsed, that was it, nobody could see anything, nobody could get in. So I don't think there's much really to see. So any other questions?
0: Okay. No, I don't sit. Please join me in you. Thank you.